Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 202, and we're going to be interviewing Chris. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm good. Thank you. Oh, you excited to be doing this? Excited and nervous. Okay, don't be too nervous. It's, I guess being nervous is a good thing, though. It shows, you know, we got blood running through our veins. Oh, yeah. All right, so I start the episode off the same every episode. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. So, um, my mother was an unwed mother when she had me, um, she bounced around a lot between men. In fact, she married one that did not get her pregnant like three weeks before I was born type of deal. Um, so she came from a broken home and had been in the system. And so... Um, she was not prepared to be a parent. And so when I turned uh, three, she put me into the foster system and I was adopted at the age of four. Um, there's question on what I had been through during that time frame because of some of the symptoms that I was showing when I was adopted, um, such as um, not recognizing physical pain, um, attachment issues and um there was a question if there had been abuse what do you I was mean by a, you weren't feeling pain that's that sounds like an interesting one um like i would touch a stove and not recognize that it was hot wow i know so, that there are people who don't have the pain receptors no i got them <laughs> oh you got them? <laughs> but at the time it was i was not mentally healthy so that's why we question if there had been abuse or not. I was adopted into a middle-class family. Um, mom stayed at home. They had adopted a little boy a couple years older than me a couple years previous. So um, I had a like quite literally a built-in family. Um, and it was hard. Like I, I knew who my mom was. And... Um, I didn't know what what to expect. My parents um, didn't know that they adopted a liar and a thief already. Um, my adopted brother was had been abused at his previous home, and um, so then that abuse in turn returned through me to what, me. Um, what kind of things would you be lying about? Um, little things, um, mom would ask me what I was doing. And instead of telling her what I was doing, I'd say something that I think that she wanted to hear, you know, um, yeah. because always that fear of being returned was there. That must be and, a terrifying, an unstable feeling. Yeah. It really was. Um, I was sexually abused from the age of four to 12. Uh, so there was. Mm -mm. Oh, you don't want to talk about it? That's okay. Uh, so there was that definite um, learned behavior, learned mentality of us versus them. It was a secret. Um, parents <clears throat> weren't to be trusted. 
type of deal. Um, and then when that, other than that, like that was an undercurrent, but then everything else was normal, you know? Like we went to church, we did Bible school, Sunday school, uh, sang in the choir, went to school, um, 4-H, Girl Scouts, you name it. It was so stinking normal. And that was weird, you know, looking yes, back. Confusing. <laughs> um, when the abuse stopped at the age of 12, I wondered what was wrong with me that someone would emotionally leave me again. And uh, so I spent the rest of my teenage years um, seeking attention in any way or form. So still on that surface, I was still a Girl Scout. I was still in 4-H. I was still um, doing debate and speech and like keeping this level of grade wise in school that um, I put upon myself because my parents didn't put that expectation on me. I did. And then underneath, I was still very promiscuous with guys and um, still trying to find acceptance and love in that area. Um, I graduated high school in 96. I was 17, I got accepted into a local university and I moved out on my own um, into the dorms for the first time. So you did okay in school? Mm-hmm, yeah, I did pretty okay. Um, honor society, um, yeah. I got pregnant before my first semester of school and I had an abortion in October of 96. And uh, it messed me up. My thought process and the reasoning for it was that I didn't want to bring a child into the life that I was living just like my mother. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, after that, I, during my teenage years, I really hadn't utilized any substances at all um there were times where i'd sneak my my parents wine um they're the type of drinkers that they'd open a bottle of wine and it would turn to vinegar before they finished it uh-huh. my what dad was would the have first age that you ever tried anything at all four wow and i'm assuming that was given to you or did you sneak it oh no no my dad had been mowing the lawn and uh i drank his beer you know, and it was funny, you know, to the adults that, but it wasn't something that they promoted. It wasn't anything that they encouraged. Um, and dad stopped leaving his beer on the porch when he mowed the lawn after that. Do you so, remember how it made you feel? That time, no. Um, when I would sneak the wine, it would just leave me feeling hot and uncomfortable. Um, but I liked the, the just fuzzy floating feeling. Oh, and that was when I was like 11, 12-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, after 
roughly about November of 96, I made the conscious decision that I wanted to not feel anymore. And that's when I dove into the party scene like head first. Um, I did not succeed that first semester of college at all. Um, and that was very difficult for my parents to understand. Um, and in fact, I dropped out before the second semester and decided that I, I needed to find myself and moved away like, by a couple hours to live with a friend in a bigger city. And um, I, when I say I dove into the party scene, it was definitely the party and not the, the downward spiral that you like typically would think of. Um, and we had a routine where, you know, Tuesdays we'd go to work at our fast food restaurant for like three or four hours. And then same with Wednesday, Thursday, we'd do the same. And then we'd get dressed up and go to a dance club a couple hours away. And then we'd spend the night with some guys, uh, Friday, do the same thing. Saturday, do the same thing. Sunday, do the same thing. And then Monday re recover, <laughs> you know, um, It, I don't I don't know at what point I started to lose myself, but I think that was definitely the the beginning. Um, I didn't recognize like how old I was because at this point I was 18. Um, I moved back to my hometown and um, I didn't want the restrictions that my parents put on me so I, I moved moved into in with another guy. There's always a guy. <laughs> And um, I was, he was uh, from the East Coast. And so he was definitely doing things that um, I was, I didn't grow up with, such as like the, the drug scene. Um, and from that point, I just bounced around and I started doing more drugs and I started doing heavier drugs and I started different ways of doing them. Um, what kind of heavier drugs were you getting into? Anything anyone offered me. Anything specific that reminds uh, that you remember? Not going there. Um, just because I think the fact is, I don't think I need to differentiate myself from, or you know, I want someone to relate to the using and the recovery, mm. not the drug. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I, when I turned 20, I was arrested. And, uh, at that point I didn't know, I didn't know how old I was, <laughs> you know, um, I'd been hanging out with men in their thirties and forties and, uh, it didn't click in my head why I wasn't allowed in the bar. Um, or different bars. There were some that would let me drink. And I didn't understand why I couldn't just pick up and leave for a couple weeks at a time and why my parents were freaking out that they didn't know if I was alive or dead when I hadn't had contact with them for a while. Um, I just thought, just leave me alone. Let me do my thing. You know, um, I didn't recognize 
what dangerous decisions I was making. Um, when I, when I was arrested, my parents did let me sit for a little while, not very long. Um, but then they did get me out. They did, um, bond me and got me into treatment. And, uh, the night before treatment, of course, you know, I'd been, this was before cell phones. <laughs> For what? Cell phones? For cell phones. And so I'd been calling some of my friends and they were like, oh, come out and party with us one last time. We'll give you a going away party. And um, that was the worst night of my life, you know? Um, I snuck out of my parents' house and um, they picked me up. Uh, down the street and I walked into an apartment uh, filled with men and um, at the time I remember thinking that um, that they love me that they uh, they think I'm something special and um it took me a long time to realize that was a low point in my mind, in my using. That was, that was my bottom. Um, so I went to treatment for 30 days and my counselor, God bless her soul. She's like, mm, I think you need a halfway house. <laughs> um, so I went to a halfway house, the one I got accepted into two and the one that let me have my car, um, was the one that I went to and it was two and a half hours away from my home and it gave me a chance to start fresh so heads up to those people that are recovering where they used because I don't know if I'd still be clean if I did that um at the women's halfway house I lived with nine other women and staff and uh, they didn't let me pull any shit they, um, they held me accountable. They didn't let me get away with anything. Those women were amazing, but man, I hated them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Us addicts do not like being told what to do. And not by my peers. No mm -hmm. way. You know, um, they introduced me to 12 step programs and that was the first time really that I had an introduction and, um, I didn't quite understand how they worked right away. Like they took me to, um, to AA to one meeting. And like, I think the next day I was like, so do I have to take one of you guys with me to go? Like, am I allowed to go back? Like, it's just some kind of club or like, <laughs> And uh, they had to explain things to me. So like on one hand, I was very worldly. And then on the other hand, I was still really naive. Um, yeah. My first sponsor, she looked at me at one point and she's like, Cressy, you are so vogue on the outside and so pretty, but you're so vague on the inside. 
And I, at the time I took it as a compliment. And over the years, I've come to understand exactly what she said. <laughs> and it was her encouragement to find substance within me, you know, to work on the inside and not the outside and um, become a, a real whole person and not, not the shell floating. Um, so I was in the women's halfway house and um, there had been a guy that I'd met in treatment. We really didn't like each other. And he was accepted into the men's halfway house and just seeing a familiar face was very um, comforting. And, you know, most halfway houses, they're like, uh, don't talk with the opposite sex for a while. And uh, so we broke that. Um, and so we both ended up getting kicked out. And this is when I really start recognizing that my higher power was working through me, um, despite me. I was looking at, um, not federal time, but I was looking at felonies. Um, and looking at prison time when I had been arrested and the judge and my probation officer said, um, agreed that if I did outpatient therapy, they would not send me to prison, you know, and, uh, that was a pretty big miracle right there. And I didn't recognize it at the time for what it was. So I continued therapy and I lived with my sponsor for a while and, uh, and I was allowed to stay on probation. Um, I ended up uh, dating this guy and um, we got pregnant and we got married. And uh, there was a time when I was thinking my 21st birthday was going to be a trigger that was going to make me want to go out and, and get that ooh, 21st birthday experience. And instead I was pregnant. So how's that, you know, God was definitely working in my life then. Um, he was older and had expectations that I had a hard time meeting. Um, so life at that time was a little bit, it was a growing pain for me, like a growing period. Um, I didn't know how to keep a house clean. I didn't know, I didn't know how to pay all our bills on time and, and take care of everything while he was gone on the road, uh, trucking. And so that was a learning curve, but it, it worked. I made it work. You know, I learned, um, our oldest uh, son is now 22 years old and uh, he's freaking amazing. He amazes me that he came from me, you know, um, during all of this, I was going to meetings and I was active in the 12 step programs and I was a sponsor and, uh, and I was a sponsee and just a part of the programs, not necessarily 
um, jumping into those head first. Um, 2001, my husband had a stroke while driving a semi down in Mississippi. And so the company called me and said, you need to go down and get him. Um, he had been to the ER and they said that he had an inner ear infection and set him up in a hotel room until I could get there. So I got down there and something, he, he wasn't the man that I married right away. I could see it. Um, and we drove back to our, to where we live and, um, took him to the ER and, and they said that he'd had a stroke. He could still walk ish. His equilibrium was off in his vision, but, um, so that was my first time learning how to care for a loved one. Um, he did recover um, very quickly and did rehab and was able to get back in the truck. Um, okay. And during this whole time, he had also been clean and had not been using, had not been drinking. And, you know, I really celebrated the fact that our uh, recovery dates were only a week apart. To me, that was very special. Um, 2002, he had a stroke in the home. Well, he was at home and uh, he was no longer allowed to drive truck. So at this point we were looking, we had roughly about three and a half years uh, clean and life changed. You know, um, he didn't quite get back all of what he'd lost, but he wasn't fully disabled yet, but he couldn't do what he loved. And so then um, I, during that time frame, I had been asked to uh, work at the halfway house that I'd been kicked out of, which was pretty amazing. Um, so I ended up working at the women's halfway house for about 10 years. And I loved working with the women. I loved seeing them come in broken and with their heads down and walking out with their heads high and full of pride and loving themselves. And that was probably the biggest piece of growing for me that, that I had um, as a woman and as an addict in recovery. Um, at home, my husband began to drink. Um, he, again, that duality of life where I was working in a recovery community in, in the field, I was going to meetings, I was active. Um, and yet at home, we were living a, you know, a dirty lifestyle because I wasn't telling people about how much he was drinking or what was going on. Um, we tried to move. <laughs> so we moved from our town about to a town about 45 minutes away and um, that didn't work either. But during the point he, during that time frame, he was diagnosed with um, multiple sclerosis and uh, which is a awful, awful disease. And so he had the kind where every year he would have an attack and lose more of himself. And so as things progressed, I became more and more of a caretaker. Um, he'd been 19 years older than me. And so um, I think the disease just hit him a little bit harder. Um, 
he had tried to commit suicide many times and I'd had him committed. Um, I talked him down and um, in 2006, um, my oldest and I had gone back to my hometown for Easter and just something in me before I left, I was like, you will be here when we get back. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And, um, so we get back and he ingested medication within a time frame that allowed him to, um, allowed us to say goodbye to him. And I begged him and pleaded with him. I was like, please just let me call the rescue squad. And he told me just um, love me enough to let me go. And um, I prayed that night that he would wake up like he had so many other times and I could work something out in the morning, you know, um, but it didn't work out that way. So the next morning I got my kiddo off to school after, after finding my, my husband in our bedroom, I'd slept upstairs with my kid and, um, got my kiddo off to school and I, um, called 911 and the next call because we lived in a town of 1200 we had one recovery meeting a week and it was a very small meeting but the members were very tight-knit and so my second call after 911 wasn't to my parents it wasn't to my sponsors and again this is where my higher power is working through me it was to one of the members of that group and he and a couple others came and stayed with me until uh, family could come. They wouldn't leave me alone. They didn't let me go anywhere by myself. They, um, they held me, you know. Um, my parents came and we got through that time frame, but I don't think I was completely sane after that. You know, I couldn't figure out my whole life changed. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't a wife anymore. I wasn't, um, it was weird. It was, it was heartbreaking. I definitely think I went insane. Um, my best friend, was able to spend time with me as she could. My parents ended up having to go back and I was left with this six-year-old child that my husband had been caring for and I'd been working my butt off at work through. Um, so I had to get to know who this child was that I, that I was left with. Um, meanwhile, navigating my own grief and I remember he went everywhere with me. He went to meetings. He can still probably recite all the the beginning readings um from heart uh, I took stock at some point and I enrolled myself in college um but I don't really clearly remember it I do think I was in some kind of like fog state at that point um 
but August of 2006, I found myself at the local community college and I was determined that my child would not, I was going to provide for him. <laughs> That's my youngest right now. Um, so I was going to meetings and I was using that um, to heal myself. To, um, I hated the disease of addiction, um, hated it. And I hated that I felt that I, the groups held me and they carried me for a while. Um, they let me, they let me cry. And my home group was instrumental in keeping me clean. My sponsor was checking in on me frequently. Um, but I threw myself into school and I threw myself into becoming um, a mom again. And we found a new normal. You know, I made the conscious decision that we we're going to um, cut off the excess fat and live a very basic lifestyle and and knowing that we were going to see the rewards on the other side. Um, I graduated in 2010 um, with my nursing degree. And uh, I was so proud of myself because I did that. You know, no one paid my way. No one did the work for me. No one, there wasn't someone that I smiled at or spent time on their arm for. This was something that I worked hard for and um, sacrificed for, and I did it. At that point, I had 12 years clean. Um, yep, I came into the program in October, 1998, and um, yeah, so I had 12 years clean at that point. Um, I'd been dating and I was looking at options and by 2011, I made the decision to accept a job, um, in my hometown and my uh, longtime boyfriend at that time decided that he was going to join us. And so we moved away from our rural area and headed right back to my hometown and that was um that was holy cow that was a growing moment um I never lived with this man he'd never lived with me or my son and we <laughs> there were some rocky moments and then uh, all of a sudden I um uh, I was pregnant again you know my my kiddo was 12 years old I didn't know if I could do this again I was going to different meetings. I didn't understand, like they were different than what I was used to because our, our previous community was very recovery welcoming. And uh, this one, you know, my hometown was not super welcoming for people in recovery. So meetings were very small and they ran differently. And I just threw up all these differences of why they weren't, why I didn't want to go. And uh, I learned to accept them and they accepted me and I found a new sponsor and I was working steps more and pregnant and 
working a new profession. It was kind of crazy for a little while. And, um, and we got, and so then we accepted, uh, we were able to welcome our second miracle on, um, 6 6 12 july 6th of 2012 isn't that the coolest birthday ever 6 6 12 <laughs> yes should be easy to remember oh yeah and um so we found a new normal there and um and then we had uh, we were living okay you know we found a stable ish for us in our relationship um we both on careers I, at that point I had switched to a psychiatric hospital that I worked at um I ended up being there for about seven years and my husband we got married in 2013 um my oldest child he was not emotionally stable and so he was in probate on probation he was defiant and um he was still grieving and I don't blame him there. There were times when, when I would be grieving too, still, um, when he, when he asked me to teach him how to tie his first tie or when he asked a girl on a date for the first time, um, I had to hold my kiddo again and, uh, allow him to grieve. So that's been rough. Um, In 2015, we accepted our last miracle, last one, period. Um, <laughs> so now he is seven years old, and I can't imagine life without him. Uh, my husband's mother was, her health was failing, and in 2018, we had a house fire where again, life changed, you know, um, and the town that we were living in, not just the recovery community, but the town itself um, supported us. And, and we were able to, to move on from that disaster fairly quickly. Um, but it was in that 18, 19, 2018, 2019 period where um, my my mother-in-law's health was declining and she had to go to a nursing home and we had the option of obtaining his family homestead um little acreage out in the middle of nowhere ish and a closer to our original um hometown you know that we grew in our recovery in and so we moved back you know, and meetings aren't the same anymore. And the people, the faces aren't the same anymore. And um, there were lots of reasons why we, why we threw up of why, why, why we didn't want to go to the meetings or be a part of, and, you know, we had to adjust, we had to. And um, life is different, you know, um, one of the first things that my boys um, got adjusted to was the fact that they could pee outside. Can't do that in the city. So they enjoyed that part. Um, I don't enjoy that we don't get delivery. 
um, I had to learn about propane and uh, well water. What? I didn't know what that was. Um, so even though it was a good thing, it was still an adjustment period. Yeah. Um, I've bounced around a little bit job-wise. I've worked seven years in a psychiatric hospital. I worked a little over a year at a detox facility. Um, worked a little over a year at um, at a small community um, doctor's office. I've worked, when we moved back to our area, I worked two years on their behavioral health unit. And then uh, I had an opportunity where I could do home health for uh, a psychiatric home health. And so I did that for about a year. And then towards the end, that's when the gas prices were skyrocketing and I couldn't afford to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And um, all of my experiences have come together as a woman in recovery, as a nurse, as a psychiatric um, professional um, working at a halfway house. I now have the opportunity of working at a drug and alcohol treatment center as their nurse. And um, that's very humbling because there are days when, when I ask myself if I'm enough for these very newly fresh recovering addicts, you know, um, because it's not, it's not about me. It's about helping them. Um, but it also allows me to be home in the evening for my boys. Um, our 22 year old is now, uh, he's engaged and he's living on his own with his fiance. Uh, my husband has a daughter from previous and she's now 31. And so she's married and they have a house and they gave us a grandson last year. So we have a one-year-old grandson together. And I joke that she's my, she's my reward for not killing her brothers, <laughs> but really, truly, um, I have a pretty amazing life. You know, it's it's nowhere near where I thought I would end up or where I should end up. Um, I've been blessed, you know. My road has been smoothed at many times by my higher power and um, and I've been carried many times by my higher power. Yeah, that's my story. Well, it sounds like you're doing much better nowadays. I'm happy for you. Yeah. So let me ask you one last question while we got you on the line here. Do yeah. you have any advice for people watching and listening? Don't give up. Just don't give up. You know, it's it's one foot in front of the other. Doing the next right thing even if you don't want to. There were a couple of times in my recovery where I told myself, tomorrow I'm okay to use. But tomorrow became today and tomorrow never came. And with each new day, I had a chance to start the day over again, you know? Um, it was a fresh start and I didn't have to use. Yeah. 
Don't give up. That's it. Pretty simple, but extremely strong words. Don't give up. Yeah. It's a real deal because so many of us, if we give up, we die. Yeah. Not everybody gets to come back. No. It's unfortunate truth of the matter. So do you have anything else that you want to talk about or throw in there? Uh, we have a saying in our area. I don't know if it's everywhere um, for the ladies. The men are going to pat you on the ass and the ladies are going to save it. And um, unfortunately in my life, I've recognized that um, men are not always the uh, instigators in, in, in unhealthy relationships. Women can be too. So basically, um, give yourself time to work on you so you can find a healthy relationship instead of um, staying with the health, with the unhealthy and hoping it becomes healthy. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we have two big dogs. Uh, we get to have them, and they are a great warning system. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're, All right. Gonna, we're getting towards the end here, so um, I'm going to do my little sales pitch for the group, and then we'll, we'll call it a day. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and doing this. Absolutely. Just do me a favor and hit the mute button while I do the outro here. All right. So for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr, you name it, we're on it. I also suggest checking out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you're going to find plenty of free resources and literature. So that's all we have for today. I really hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.